So how are you guys doing today? Do you guys have a good summer? Yeah, yeah nice summer. See, I, I had a great summer. Uh, many of you probably don't know this, but I have an uncle. He's down in the States. He's a sheriff in a small town. And he invited my family and I, Sarah, and our son Cadman down to visit him for the 4th of July weekend. He lives right on the coast there. And so we go to, we're about to go down, but then he warns us. He says, well, we've had a, some tragedy has struck the town. There's actually been a shark attack off the coast of the town, so maybe you don't want to come. We said, well, we'll come. And they didn't really think anything was of it or was going to happen. But then another attack happened. And then so my uncle said, whoa, 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 we need to do something about this. So he says, let's shut down the beach. And of course, it's a, it's a tourist town, kind of like Harrison, and shutting down the beach, it's, you know, there's a lot of money at stake. So the, the mayor and the council people and the business owners all came and said, no, 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 we can't shut down the beach. Let's just put up extra security. And so my uncle gives in and says, okay, fine. And, and so we're all down there. And lo and behold, another shark attack happens. And everybody's freaking out. There's pandemonium. They, they shut down the beach and they say, well, we got to do something about this. So they decide to organize a fishing derby of sorts. And so they gather people together and they're going to go and they're going to try to catch this big shark that's been attacking people. And so they all go out and then one of them actually catches this enormous shark. And so they're like, woohoo, we got the shark, right? We can all go back into the water. And so they open up the beaches again. But there's a problem. There's this marine biologist and he comes and he looks at the shark and he's measuring the shark's mouth and he measured the other bites. And he said, no, guys, this is, this is the wrong shark. You, you have the wrong shark. And so my uncle's trying to tell them, and they're not believing them. They open up the beaches again, and of course, there's another shark attack. So this now, everybody's freaking out. My uncle says, okay, that's enough. He grabs the marine biologist. He grabs this surly seaboat captain, and then they go out, and they're going to hunt down this shark. The problem is, though, is the shark was actually hunting them. And so lo and behold, the, the shark starts battering the boat and breaks holes in it and it starts to sink. And they get, the shark gets the sea captain. Everybody's scared. Finally, my uncle gets the CO2 canister into the mouth of the great shark, lifts up his rifle and pfft, he blows up the shark. That actually didn't happen. That was, that, that was, that was Jaws. <laughs> Okay, okay, how about, this? how about this story? So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Chris Battle. I'm the, the Lake Aroch campus pastor over on the, the other side of Mount Woodside, the Misty Mountains. And I, I, I haven't always been a, a believer. I lived the first 29 years in my, of my life as, a, as like an atheist, agnostic, contrary to God. And 16 of those years I spent in active addiction uh, to hard drugs and alcohol. I lived on the streets and all that stuff. But when I was 29 years old, I, I met Jesus. And it, and it completely changed my life. Completely different person than now than I was then. It's amazing. Now, some people might say that those two stories I, I, I've just told you are, are, are both stories based in fiction. That essentially what, what I've done is I've taken myself and I've put myself into two fairy tales. I've taken the Jaws story and I've put myself into that story, but it's not really real. And other people might say that I've put myself into this, this Jesus story, this, this Jesus is real and that he, he lives in and, and he redeems people, that I've put myself in that story, but neither one of them are actually true, that, I, that I'm deluding myself. Or perhaps something like this has happened to somebody, uh, to you, or maybe someone you know, you 
grew up in a Christian home, you, you maybe went to, to camp and, and you put your faith in Jesus and you went to youth group and maybe to a mission trip in Mexico, you, you have some questions, but everybody around you seems to really understand the faith and they seem to really get it. And so you want to kind of follow along and, and maybe you even believe that you believe, you know? But then one day you meet some friends or, or you watch some videos on YouTube or, or you go off to college and you start to, to doubt what you've been taught and, and people start to, to make you think that what you believe is, is similar to believing in Santa Claus or the Tooth Fairy or leprechauns. You are sold a lie and, and now you might want your money back. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Or maybe you've never had faith. Maybe you grew up in, in a Christian home and your parents believed, but you didn't believe what they believed, or, or perhaps your parents didn't believe and you just followed their lead. That, that was the case for me growing up. My family didn't believe. So please hear me when I say that if you or someone you know thinks that Christianity is just another fairy tale, I, I understand that because I, I believed that most of my life. And this is why I'm really, really excited to be here with you this morning to talk about this topic. This, it really, really hits home for me because I, I spent the first 29 years of my life mad at a God that I didn't think existed. That it was all just a big fairy tale and people were kidding themselves. But now, but now look at me. So this morning I want to simply address this question and we're going to go walk through a text of scripture we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1, and then we're going to explore why this question has been asked in the first place. Does that sound good? So 2 Peter chapter 1 this morning, and I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, and we're going to be reading verses 16 through 21. It's going to be on the, the screen as well. You can listen, grab your phones, tablets, whatever, whatever floats your boat. Verse 16, and so just so you know, uh, this is uh, Peter, the Apostle Peter, writing it, and when he says we, he's talking about him and the other main followers of Jesus, the apostles at that time, okay? He writes, for we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly beloved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the Christ, the morning star, shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. So now that we've laid that as our, our foundation, we're going to just circle back around. And uh, first, we're going to answer this question as we continue our series on doubt. Isn't Christianity just another fairy tale? So back in verse 16, he does write, for we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the assumption that we have to work with as we read this first part is that people have started to accuse them of making stuff up. That essentially they're living a lie. The things that they're teaching are not real. They're not 
or they're effectively giving them a hollow life existence, that it's all just a fairy tale. This part of the text that Peter's writing is coming on the tales of him encouraging people to live well because of Jesus's imminent return. He's saying Jesus is coming back, so we need to check ourselves. He said that he, Peter, is going to be killed soon. Jesus himself told Peter that he was going to be martyred for his faith, and Peter believed him, and and now he's saying, my time is coming up. I'm going to be dying soon. And so he's telling them, your behavior has a direct, uh, it directly impacts your relationship with God. So we need to be checking that. And so because of these teachings, echoing the teachings of Jesus, by the way, people are accusing him of living that dream. There's no Jesus returning, they're saying. And they could be saying that for any number of reasons. First, they might not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They might not believe that he's going to come back and, and there's uh, going to be that second coming. Or, and here's your 99 cent theological term for the morning, they might have an over-realized eschatology. And what that means is they might believe that the second coming has already happened, that they are already living in the great beyond. Or third, they might be thinking that Jesus won't be coming back in physical power, uh, that he'll be coming back in some sort of a spiritual way. But no matter what sort of reason that they might be doing that, they're saying that Peter and friends have bought into a lie, and now they're living it and teaching it. It should be noted, though, that Jesus coming back in power is something that we have actually believed for millennia now. So we even sing songs like even so, come Lord Jesus. So as we read this, we want to be asking the text some questions, and I, and I have a couple, I have lots, but there's two of them that, that I want to point out. First one is, as Peter's writing this, what's in it for them? Like, what, what benefit is it for them to write and say that Jesus is coming back and all that stuff if they know it's true or not? Like, what, what, what benefit is it for them? And the next one I have is what does Peter mean by the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ? So let's keep going. Second half of verse 16. He writes, we saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly beloved son who brings me great joy. And Peter says this, we ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So as I read that, if you're wondering what Peter's talking about, he's referring to what's called the transfiguration. The transfiguration. You can read about that in places like Matthew 17 or Mark 9 or Luke 9, but just so we're all on the same page, I'm going to read a few verses from Luke. Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on the mountain to pray. And as he, Jesus, was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men, Moses and Elijah, if you don't know who Moses and Elijah are, they're two heavyweights from the Old Testament, great leaders, great men of God, leaders of the people of Israel, and both people have been off the earth at this point for hundreds and hundreds of years. So these three men are watching Jesus, and now these two men, Moses and Elijah, having a conversation. And now Peter writes probably the biggest understatement in the history of the Bible Verse 31, they were glorious to see. 
They were glorious to see. And they were speaking about his exodus. And what they're talking about there is Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. That he was going to die. He was going to rise up from the grave. And he was going to go. His exodus from this world. They're talking about that which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Now, I would love to be able to camp out here and talk about this for a really long time. Because it is pregnant with meaning. There's so many things going on here. There's prophecy being fulfilled. They're also talking about prophecy for the future. These people are seeing Jesus in his glory. They call it the Shekinah glory. And he's talking with these two prophets. It's, It's incredible. But for us, it's important to just know that Peter is saying that he saw this with his own eyes. And not only that, he's saying that there was other people that saw it there too. He's saying, you can fact check me. It's not just me. You can check with some other people. They saw this as well. And again, we want to ask ourselves the question, why would Peter die for this? He, he knows whether or not this happened or not. Why would he go and allow himself to be killed? And if history tells us, or if history is right, in such a horrific way, why would he do that if this was a clever story that he's just making up? Another question we could ask is, how, how did this impact them? And so he continues in verse 9, because of that experience, and we really want to hear this part right here, because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ, the morning star, shines in your hearts. So, because of what they heard and smelled and and touched and and felt, they have even greater trust in what they've been taught. See, some of you may not know this, but you actually, you have a prophet in your midst. Uh, Miss Heather was uh, kind enough this morning to tell me that this stool would hold my weight. And and I I believe her. She's, She's trustworthy, I think, most of the time, right? This is... Most of the time. And so she told me, she, she proclaimed to me that this stool would hold my weight. And, and I believe her. But how much more when I... Oh, just kidding. That was... How, how much more when I sit on it? And it actually holds my weight. How much more now do I believe? See, the apostles... Thank you, by the way, Heather. And thank you, stool. Uh, for holding my weight. That would have been pretty bad if it didn't. Uh, But how much more? So these apostles had been with Jesus. They'd been taught that God was going to be doing incredible things through him. They'd already seen some things. But after their experience with him, they not only believed, they really believed. They actually got to experience what they were talking about. So just as you come to think from someone who is in possession of knowledge of infinite value, Peter is now wanting to relay that on before he dies. In other words, Peter's saying, we, we didn't create this story. We're merely relaying God's story. And he's saying prophets have pointed to what would happen, and now we've seen it happen. We've seen it happen with our own eyes. So listen to them. Listen to the prophets, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Friends, fairy tale or not, those those are some beautiful words, aren't they? But Chris, aren't those just words? Aren't those just words written by men with with an agenda, with 
something that they're trying to prove, of course they would say something like that. Peter, what say you? Verse 20, above all, he says, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. So what Peter's getting at here is called inspiration, that God inspired these writers to write what they wrote. So, but how do we know that we can trust that? Well, in a word or in a name, Sunday school answer, anyone? Yes, Jesus. Do you guys have Sunday school here? <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, I know, Vivian, you wanted to answer that so bad for it. She's like, I know, I know this answer. <laughs> See, Jesus believed in the authority of Scripture. Every time that Jesus was faced with something, either the devil or a false teacher or whomever else, Jesus always pointed to the Scriptures as a way of pointing people in the right direction. As Andy Stanley likes to say that any time that somebody predicts their own death and resurrection and then actually accomplishes it, that's somebody that you want to pay attention to what they're saying. And there's many, many reasons when we think about why we can believe in who Jesus said he was. And I think the, f- the foremost would be the fact that he was raised from the dead. In Corinthians, Paul talks about that, that we are fools to believe any of this Christian thing if the resurrection didn't happen. And there's many, many good intellectual reasons to believe that it happened. I'm not going to go into depth in all of them, but many of them, uh, you can uh, Google minimal facts on the resurrection, but the fact that Jesus was crucified is a historical fact. The fact that the tomb was found empty is a historical fact. The fact that there was many appearances, Paul talks about that in Corinthians 15, that Jesus appeared to many people. This is a fact. But the one that I want to focus in on is one that we've already been dealing with a little bit, and that's the lives of his followers and their willingness to lose them, lose their lives for Jesus' sake. I I love this quote from Charles Colson. I I believe I I read it here during uh, Easter, but we can go over it again, or going over the resurrection. But for those of you who don't know who Charles Colson was, he was a politician back in the 70s, and he got caught up in, in something called the Watergate scandal. And if you don't know what that was, that was a scandal that embroiled some of the most powerful men in the world and ended up uh, in the impeachment of then-President Richard Nixon, who was involved in this. And, and Charles Colson ended up going to prison for this, would later become a believer, in part because of the belief in the resurrection of Jesus. And he writes, I know the resurrection is a fact and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead and then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. And this is the kicker. They would not have endured that if it wasn't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. (laughs) You're telling me that 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. See, these these apostles understood that the life they were living was really real. They believed in that. And so they lived it. Well, Chris, okay, Chris, some of you might be thinking, though, my, my, this meter is going off. Like, it it kind of sounds like you're using the Bible to, to prove the Bible. Isn't that a circular 
argument. And, and honestly, if, if you're thinking that, I, I get that objection. I, re- I really do. But we need to understand a few things. First, the, the, many of the reasons that we can believe in the resurrection and other aspects of, of Christianity, there, there's something called natural theology. There's, there's good arguments extra-biblically beyond the Bible that we can to make these. There's, there's outside sources, men such as Josephus, writing about some of these events that we can look to. We also can understand this, the, the presupposition is that the resurrection happened because they wrote the New Testament in the first place. Why in the world would they have wasted their time writing this book that amounted to a fiction book and then die for it if Jesus had actually died and, and not risen from the dead? They would have just gone home. And finally, the Bible, it's not like it was written over the weekend. The, the Bible was actually written over 1,500 years by 40 authors writing and putting together, compiling these beautiful documents that all pointed in the same direction to this creator God who loves his creation so much and has a beautiful, beautiful future for it. See, I believe in the authority of the Bible because Jesus affirmed it. And because I have experienced God's spirit in my life, and I've seen God's spirit working in the lives of other people, many in this room. See, God is the best explanation for the world I see around me. He's the best explanation for objective morality. He's the best way for me to know that things like evil and suffering can actually be redeemed. See, I believe that without the God that we meet both in the scriptures and in the world that we see around us, life devolves into hopelessness and meaninglessness. See, I've lived that life. And I thank God for pulling me through. But it's not just me that believes that, though, is it? There's many people here. There's many people in this neighborhood. There's many people in this town, there's many people in this county, there's many people in this province, in this country, in this continent, in this world, millions upon millions upon millions of people who would testify to the same truth for the very same reasons. And that testimony has been passed down through the ages for the very same reasons. And it all started with a good God who spoke creation into motion revealed himself to his prophets who spoke his truth and then it was corroborated in real life. So friends, the, the answer is, is no. Christianity is not, not just another fairy tale. Experience and the, and the biblical witness testify to its reality. This is for real. Now, if I've given you any impression, though, that the struggle with whether or not it's real isn't real, then, then I apologize, because like I said, I, I know that it is. I felt it. I still sometimes struggle with doubts in my mind, and I need to take these thoughts captive when they start to rise up. See, sometimes for some of us, it's, and, and for people we know, it's understood that because we can't see, smell, taste, touch, or feel God on demand— that he's just not there. I get that. Because someone can tell us that God's there and they can say it with absolute certainty and conviction. Praise Jesus! He's there. 
And yet, if we don't know it for ourselves, then it seems just like another fairy tale. So with our remaining time, I want to explore the question behind the question, and that's why do people come to the conclusion that Christianity is just a fairy tale? And I'm going to quickly cover, we'll quickly cover two, and then camp out in the third one a little bit before we close. So first, maybe someone's tried to meet God, and he didn't show up the way they were told he would, or in the way that they think that he would. So they were told that he's there, or they think that he's there, and they go looking, but with something else in mind. It's like the other day, Sarah and I are sitting on the couch. Sarah's my wife, by the way, and we're sitting on the couch, and she asked me to go up and get something from the cupboard. So I get up, and either because I had something else visually in my mind as I went to look for it, or just because I'm a guy, I went to the cupboard, and I opened it up, and I looked around, moved some stuff around, and I walked back and sat down, and I'm like, it's not there, right? We, we must be out of it, Right? So to which Sarah responds by rolling her eyes, but not on the outside because she's very sweet, but on the inside. And she gets up and she walks into the kitchen and she's back in like five seconds with it in her hand. And I'm like, well, where was it? Right? Like naively thinking it could have possibly been somewhere that it, she said that it was, right? You guys know exactly where it was. But I, I, had, so, I, I had something else going on in my mind. See, something that's very real is sometimes when people try faith, it doesn't, and it doesn't do what they expect it to do, it, or it doesn't look like we want it to. We, we try and try and try and expect God to heal or provide or whatever, and then he doesn't. See, in a sense, then, we put up a, a barrier by imposing on God what we think he should do. We, we come to him with expectations, so when he doesn't perform, we just, we just think he's not there. And what do we do? We give up. We think that there's no power or redemption in the gospel because it didn't do the thing that we needed it to do. We think it must be just another fairy tale. Friends, sometimes things don't go the way we want, but it, it doesn't mean that God's not there. It, it simply means that we, we just need to reevaluate what we want. We need to understand who God is and engage with him on his terms, not turn him into the God of our understanding and expect him to engage with us on our terms. So that's the first reason. Next, maybe someone just doesn't want there to be a God. And this one's pretty simple. Uh, Professor of Philosophy at New York University, Thomas Nagel, uh, sums this up uh, in roughly the same way I've, I've heard it uh, and likely said it at some point. He, he writes, I want atheism to be true and am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. So y'all can take that as a compliment. He goes on, he says, I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. So there, there's an active antagonism there towards God, towards faith in general. And, and to that, the only thing that I can say, if, if that's you or, or you've experienced that before or you know somebody like that, the best thing that I can say we can do is, is to keep wrestling with some of the things we've talked about and, and beyond. It's what, thank God, I was able to do and I can 
promise that it's worth it. And finally, this, this last one is, is just for the church. And so if you're, if you're here this morning and you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, and I haven't uh, expressed it well enough, I'm really, really glad that you're here. Uh, it's, it's great that you've come and joined. Uh, you, you're always welcome. Uh, but this part isn't for you, but I'm, I'm glad that you get to, to listen to it because this is something that is deep at the heart of, of what we want to be as a church. So, church... Do you want to know why I think people often think that Christianity is a fairy tale? Do you want to know why people look at what we believe both outside and sometimes inside our faith communities and think that it's not true? It's it's because we often don't act like it is. See, church, we, we need to own this. Like, and, I'll, and I'll speak for myself. I really need to own this because I will, I will verbally affirm texts like we, we read today that Peter and, and his friends saw Jesus transfigured, his Shekinah glory, and, and that through that there is incredible power in this faith. I'll affirm that. I'll affirm that Jesus lived, died, rose again for me so that I could have new life. And because of that, the Holy Spirit lives in me and empowers me to be able to do bigger things, Jesus says, than he did. I, I verbally affirm that, but then I, I look in the mirror and I have to wonder, am I actually living that consistently in power? So what do, I, what do I mean by that? I'm going to get that to that in a second, but I, I want to set this on something that's and, and help drive it home why this is so important for us to be thinking about because we live in a society that is desperate for something to believe in. Hungry for something to cling to that gives them meaning in life. And uh, probably not, but has anyone heard of uh, Greta Thunberg? It's, it's spelled Thunberg, but that's not the way it's, it, you know what I mean? She, if you don't know her, she's a, a climate activist. She's the one that's behind the school striking and stuff like that. And please don't let your minds go into the dark place of, of politics or climate change uh, or anything like that, because that's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about meaning and, and what she wrote in the Twitter sphere, uh, I think two weeks ago. She wrote this uh, online. She wrote, uh, Before I started school striking, I had no energy, no friends, and I didn't speak to anyone. I sat alone at home with an eating disorder. All of that is gone now since I have found a meaning in a world that sometimes seems shallow and meaningless to so many people. See, in this one message, Greta has expressed the crisis, probably the greatest crisis that we have in our society today, and that's a crisis of meaning. People are hungry for it. She's saying, my identity was a little girl alone in her room. And now my identity is a global climate activist with a platform larger than most people on the planet. That's where I found my meaning. I, I, for me, as I read that, Peter's words from our text, they loom large, don't they? When he writes, because of that experience, 
because of what happened to us, because of our experience with Lord Jesus, our lives are changed. We are changed. Our lives have a deep, transcendent meaning. This is where we get our identity. See, people are desperate to to find out why they're here, what the meaning of life is, so much so that they're willing to try to create it for themselves. And if that's you, I understand, but because I used to believe that I could create the meaning for my life. But friends, I believe now, I've come to believe that the meaning is truly conveyed by a creator, not made up by the creature. But it's easy for us to buy into what the culture is selling. So I, again, I don't blame anyone for thinking that, believer or not. Uh, there's someone that's still I, probably maybe a little bit better known, C.S. Lewis, you guys know You guys know him, Chronicles of Narnia. He once struggled to believe in the fairy tale of Christianity. He described himself as the most reluctant convert when he came to faith. And he struggled with this for a long time. And he had a friend named J.R. Tolkien of the Lord of the Rings fame. And J.R. Tolkien was a believer long before C.S. Lewis, also known as Jack. And they would spend hours and hours and hours and hours talking about faith. And J.R.R. Tolkien talking about what reality actually looked like. And so I have an excerpt from a, a dramatized conversation based on their communication. So remember, C.S. Lewis is Jack in this. And he starts off and he says, you can't seriously believe in fairy tales. Why not? I can. In fact, I do. But this is preposterous. How can you seriously believe a lie? Oh, Jack, myths are not lies. In fact, they are the very opposite of a lie. Myths convey the essential truths, the primary reality of life itself. Go on. Well, you see, we have been duped into using the word myth as being synonymous with a lie because we have been duped into accepting the first real lie of materialism. And what is that? That is the hideous claim that there is no supernatural order to the universe. The materialists have imprisoned us in a world of mere matter, of physical facts, divorced from and devoid of metaphysical truth. Well, I say that they are the ones who are lying. I say they are the ones who have come up with a false myth. Their world doesn't exist. It's merely a figment of their imagination. The problem is that they have convinced us that it is true. They have made us believe that this is all there is. Three dimensions, five senses, four walls. But isn't it? Most emphatically not. Jack, the four walls of materialism are the four walls of a prison and the materialists are our jailers. See, friends, we, we live in an enchanted world. And the reason why it's enchanted is because God is the ultimate reality. And it's because of this deep and ancient truth, those who believe in him and follow him should be living lives different from those around them. They should be living lives entirely for him. What do I mean by that? Recently, there is a story in the news. Uh, m- many of you probably have read it or seen it, but it involved the shooting of an innocent black man. And I'm just going to give you the, the synopsis of what happened. 
On September 6, 2018, off-duty Dallas Police Department officer, patrol officer, Amber Geiger, entered the Dallas, Texas apartment of Botham Jean and shot and killed him. On October 1st, 2019, so just a few days ago, Geiger was found guilty of murder. The next day, she received a sentence of 10 years in prison. And so that was on October 2nd. And they filmed this, the sentencing hearing. And so the family got to speak to the person who killed their son or brother or friend. And this is what happened at that hearing. This is his brother on the stand talking to his brother's killer. I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. See, that, my friends, is just one example of what living in the grace and the power of Jesus Christ can do in the lives of those who believe in him. And it should be normal. It should be ubiquitous amongst us. See, I, I don't know about you, but when people tell the tale of my faith journey, I, I, I want it to be of the genuine variety, not the, not the fairy tale variety. I don't want to just insert myself into the story like, like I did with Jaws. I want God to be my ultimate reality all the time, not just some of the time. I want to fearlessly put myself out there for the sake of the gospel like Brant, Jean did in the video that we watched. Pastor Francis Chan, he writes, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. And what matters? What does Peter keep pointing to? Well, it's that power of Jesus. He's pointing to, in, in this text, the hope that Jesus gives his church, gives us to be able to show and exemplify to the world, 
Because remember that, he said, because of that experience, and we can say that, because of our experience, because of our experience of the Lord Jesus, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets, by Peter himself. And those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. So don't hear me saying that we don't ever get anything right, because that's clearly not true. I'm standing in front of a community that does beautiful things, all the time, but I'll speak for myself. I, I want to confess my own lack of faith, and, and I want to invite anybody who feels the same way to ask God's forgiveness for living even some of the time as though his power doesn't course through us. Like it is just a fairy tale. And if you're, if you're here today and, and you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, I, I, I want to encourage you to to step out in faith and, and take a chance. Turn away from that, from that old life, those things that bog you down and turn towards God and, and really get to experience what true meaning in life is all about. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for people like Brant who show us what living in your grace, living in your power, really looks like. Father, I can't even imagine what it would take to, to say the things he did, let alone beg to hug the person that, that killed his brother. But Father, I know the power that can accomplish that, and that's your power. And so Father, as, as we think as a community how we can live in that power, Lord. We pray, or I pray, and I ask for your forgiveness for not always living in that power, for letting things distract me, these things in life that, that often don't really matter, to get in the way of me living out my whole life for you, for, for not being able to forgive for not being able to move past not getting my way, for not being able to do what I think I should be allowed to do instead of doing what you are calling me to do. Father, you are good. You are so good. And we thank you for being our ultimate reality, for making this an enchanted world that we live in full of and all of these wonderful things, like goodness, truth, and beauty. Help us live in that, Father, we pray in your name. Amen.